Welcome to another edition of Truth and Rhythm. This is the interview show that gets deep in the pocket with contemporary music's foremost masters of the groove. I am your host, Scott Dr. GX Wolfi. If you enjoy this programming, subscribe to the Funkin' Stuff channel on YouTube, which is where Truth and Rhythm lives, and be an advocate by spreading the word among fellow funk, jazz, and R&B music lovers. Join Truth and Rhythm's membership program through Patreon. You can also submit a direct donation to the cause anytime at funkandstuff.net. At that site, you can also purchase the book, Everything's on the One, The First Guide of Funk. Shop for official Truth and Rhythm and Funk and Stuff merchandise and use the Amazon links for all of your online purchases, which allocates a percentage to this show. For those of you who go the extra step in supporting the show, you have my heartfelt gratitude for allowing us to continue to shine the light on those special artists whose quest is to find truth in rhythm. Quest Love was around the studio sessions. So he's like, you're bad. You, you could play that chicken grease funk prince type thing. And so he's like, you know what? I'm doing some sessions. I'd like to call you on some. I'm doing this big tribute to Prince at the Brooklyn Academy of Music on uh i think it was the 11th of december 1999 11th and 12th it's the hottest ticket in new york at the time everybody wanted to go because it was like they were doing the 1999 album but with a different guest vocalist for each song so you'd have uh i forget the girl's name what's her name what if God was one of us? Oh, wow. Whatever her name is. She'd be doing like 1999. And then the next song, Little Rick Prevet, it would be uh, someone else who's famous. PM Dawn or something. Like it was an all-star show. Joan Osborne. Joan Osborne, yes. So she was a part of it. Uh, lots of famous people were a part of this show. And uh, so... For a period of time, I was doing a few things with the Roots, and they needed a new guitarist. So he, I was actually asked to be the guitarist of the Roots. And at the time, I had a record deal. I had signed by that time with Rockefeller. And so that sort of didn't go anywhere because I wasn't just interested in being a guitarist. So... I think that was a bit off-putting to Amir, the Questlove, and his management, this guy named Rich Nichols at the time. But we were in talks about it, and uh, 
definitely if I would have stayed in New York and I didn't have my own things going, that would have been a pretty good job to have, you know? So, uh, back to your question. Uh, I think your question was, what was your question again? <laughs> <laughs> well, we can get back to uh, you know Jay Z, uh, the getting you know, what, what, yeah. How did how did things kind of go south for you with that? Well, okay, so I got signed to Rockefeller as I told you through them liking Nika Costa's record. I believe that Jay Z liked her record a lot too, so they signed me. And unfortunately, the they were going their separate ways at that time. Jay Z was about to become the president of Def Jam. And his partners, he was about to cut them loose and go for himself. So I was caught in the middle of that. It's like I signed a record contract for maybe, I think it was like $250,000. And my lawyer got maybe 20-something, 20 25. I may have gotten 15 just as a little first installment of this or something like that. I never got anything else. And um, that's because they wouldn't open up the budgets. It was a very confusing in the office about where things are going. And um, it was a very rough time for me because I was in the studio trying to record my album. They weren't paying the studio uh, fees it was just a really bad time. So eventually I had no choice but to leave the situation because I was behind on my bills, trying to fight to get my money. Like they, they were always saying I needed a manager to talk to them, not myself going up to the office. So I got like two or three different people to act as a manager for me temporarily just to try to get my money out of these people. They made them promises that they were going to pay me, never got around to paying me till it got to the point where I literally was so behind on rent and things that my, they, I got evicted. They, I got a notice in the mail saying, we haven't received any rent from you for blah, 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 blah. And I was told that Rockefeller was going to contact them and pay them directly. I don't know why I believe that, but that's what I was told. Just leave it with us. We'll call them and we'll sort that bill out and then we'll open up your budget. And none of that happened. So uh, I had to leave. And fortunately, at that time, Kid Creole was doing a musical in London, well, actually in a place called Blackpool, it's Northern England. And it was, uh, it was called Oh, What a Night, this musical. And uh, someone who wrote, one of the writers of that show, he wrote a Marvin Gaye musical as well. And so they wanted to find people for this and I got the call hey, you would be perfect for this. You can sing, you can blah, 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 blah. So I went to England, to London, and I did this musical for about a year. And um, then we took it to Belgium, to Austin, Belgium, where Marvin actually lived for a short period of time before 
before he made sexual healing, he was living in Austin. He was trying to get himself clear and back on track. And so I got to go to the house he lived in. The people who took him in and tried to help get him healthy again came to the show in Belgium, took us to the house. So it was an interesting experience. But um, that's how I got out of the Rockefeller thing. Yeah. Well, at least you landed on your feet over there, you know, doing that. It's a constant struggle, you know. It's a constant struggle. I, I now am like the most funky person anywhere I go, but there's no demand for funk. <laughs> so. Well, that that's that's a huge topic right there, how it was kind of um you know, squelched, I don't know if that's the right word, but, you know, suppressed, you know, I mean, yeah. funk's been suppressed in so many ways through the years, you know, it's, a lot of it's related to, you know, racial things, in my opinion, but um, I, think so. I think there's a heavy element of that after being, uh, you know, present and living, well, after living through it during funk's heyday and mm. seeing how it was kind of systematically kicked to the curb, you know, with disco and then the corporate music industry and MTV and all that. Um, yeah. I, I mean, I obviously I can see what you're talking about with the whole baseball game with the burn the disco album slash burn the black albums. <laughs> and, and trying to just uh, push funk music. Uh, oh, it's also disco, you know, screw yeah. that, you know, kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. I understand. Uh, yeah i understand and, i understand and, and i was there at the coliseum when prince was booed off the stage opening for the stones so you actually went to that i was there yeah wow that must have been a memory for you like i if i i that i know probably was a racially motivated thing that I was I mean, you know i was so disgusted you know i got had gotten like seven or eight of my friends to go to that show I, well i went with them to that show but i had been telling them for you know years about prince and they weren't really he's familiar good, with that much, you know because <laughs> i was there from you know the very beginning um mm. and uh and they're like okay yeah let's see this guy and then he comes out and then that happened and oh man you know um, that's the worst that that'd probably be the worst experience to try to show someone the greatness of print hey is that the guy getting hit with a chicken over there <laughs> he's pretty good at dodging shoes yeah, yeah. dodge the <laughs> hell out of that bottle i bet he's, he's he can spass on his feet yeah <laughs> no so uh wow. yeah um yeah frustrating just to see um well just musicality taken out of you know, R&B and, and funk kick to the curb Tell so much. You would think nowadays that never even happened. If you just judge by all the, where music has gone, that type of black music has gone, you would think there never was a time when being in a band and having an amplifier was a thing or something. You know, like, it's crazy. It's totally crazy. It, it, uh, that's one of the biggest issues in my life that... I feel like I live in a time I don't belong in, sort of. Like, it's just, you, you don't have to be talented anymore. 
You don't have to be original in any way. You don't have to have a unique anything. It's just sort of, it seems like a popularity contest. Like if you're good with selling yourself, sure, you and anybody else can make a record or something. Like, don't worry about it. We'll copy and paste you to death and auto-tune you here and no one's expecting anything real anyway. So it's a, it's a very weird time. Yeah. But you can still find, you know, people out there that get it in terms of the music side of it and the history. Um, you just got to look for them, you know, on the internet somewhere, you know, and find them. I know. It's just unfortunate. I mean, honestly, it probably never was great because I probably got a lot of the opportunities I got because I was young and somebody saw the potential for big money in me over a long period of time. I, I don't know if me being the same exact person now would get all those same opportunities because it's just that that's not where the business is at these days. Well, yeah. I mean, speaking of that, Mark, if you look back to, to like the seventies and maybe the sixties, I can't speak for it as much, but um, it wasn't that uncommon for older artists, you know, people in their oh. mid twenties or thirty, even to break through, you know, know, and get support by a label. You know, I know. Look at people like uh, what's his name, uh, George McRae, for instance, yeah. <laughs> or something like that. You know, I know. Well, even Rick James was like thirty-ish when he finally hit big with you know in the late seventies. Yeah. Oh, I, it's a different, different, I, I don't even, I mean, I don't rate music at all anymore. I, I'm not interested in anything that's coming out. If I just heard it was popular, I, that would be enough for me to know it's not my kind of thing. Almost. Like, because what I do is like extinct kind of, you know, it's weird. It's very weird. So, um, so you uh, you continue to do a lot of sessions overseas, though, right? Uh, during in into the two thousands. Well, I would say in it, well, yes, a lot of that stuff was more mobile stuff. Like I'd be sending files to people, and they send me a track, and I'll play on it and send it back, which is really a crappy way of working. You know, it's like basically someone sends you a track. And they say, just play all the cool stuff you play. And I'll edit it and put it together however I see fit at the end of the day. So you don't know exactly what you're going to hear on the record when it comes out. You just know you gave them a bit of all of your stuff. And so it's, it's crappy. Sometimes people will hire you to do one song, but because of computer technology the way it is, they can just say, ooh, I can use this bit on this other song, or I could take this and put it in a different key and slice it here and use that. So you might do one session for somebody where you played a bunch of stuff, but you don't know what it's going to sound like at the end of the day. And then you'll hear some of the other stuff, and it's got some of your stuff too. But, you know, it's just the world we live in right now. So it's unfortunate. 
you you lose chemistry. It's out of context. You know, it, it, it's people who don't even play the instruments putting it together. It is like, oh, that sounds kind of like the guitar thing I was imagining. Ish. Okay, fine. Put some <laughs> echo and reverb on it. It'll it'll be sufficient. Whatever. It, it's uh, it's not even music to me anymore. And sometimes they match it up with things that don't even work. It's not even music anymore. Mm. I, I I have no interest in any contemporary artists or any of the way they produce music. Like, if I almost hear that they use computers, I'm I'm put off right away. And that could be even a real person. Like, I think I saw an interview with Bootsy one time, and he was in his studio, and I see like all this computer screens and monitors in the back i'm just like i don't want to hear that uh, whatever you're doing is you can keep that one it's not. it's never as good you know um it just doesn't have the same especially if it's going to be real funk i mean i know i know that it's a very big topic to me because i almost feel like i have to give up real funk if i want to compete in this business because if i'm going in the studio trying to find a old studio with tape machines and the proper gear real players horns all of it and then the next guy who's trying to get his foot in the door is literally just having a laptop and some programs he probably didn't even pay for and that's his track how could i compete like you know i financially just you know the only way i could see it is if you met like some diehard funk people who are just like we are sticking to this no matter what we're doing this and so i haven't met anyone like that especially over here in england this is a culture of um tribute bands and cover songs like i every single person i've met i haven't met one person in over a decade here that is trying to do something um original every single person is like hey i'm thinking of putting together a motown tribute band or a this or a that and it's just like this isn't music this is karaoke so so it's a very weird time we're in right now. I'm in the music business, but not really. I, I'm doing what I do with the hopes that someone who appreciates the real thing would recognize I'm that and that I deserve to be heard. You know, but I'm totally out of this try to get record deals and be cool online and all this stuff. none of that interests me at all i i you know i don't think it's right either to just say you know uh like being stuck in the past or you got to get with what's current and you know that kind of thing it's it's more than that it's real playing it's real musicality it's real chemistry it's it's not just you know being nostalgic or something like that. Whoa. It's entirely different creation. I know. Now that you're talking about it, it hurts my heart a little bit. 
because I'm always trying to get in the real world and accept how things are. And, and a lot of my time is spent dipping one toe into the modern world and still trying to be who I am. So yes, I do have the whole computer set up. I've got the Mac and the write programs and all that because I, when people hire me for work, 100% of the time nowadays, it's that way. They'll send me a track. They expect me to bring it up on my computer, play something into the computer and email it back to them. So I do have all of that. But I, it's just, it, well, I'll never commit to that type of thing. It's not music to me. And the other thing, it's just not feasible to do it. It, it, it to do it properly, you know, like to actually go a one roll of tape to do this properly costs more than their whole budget with a laptop. You know, like it's it's hard to explain it to you, but um, no, I yeah. get it. It's just like in the you really started in the eighties when they started getting rid of the horn sections instead of, and using keyboards, and then you know they didn't have to pay those horn guys. And then part of the reason that rap and hip hop hip hop got so big with the labels was because they could do it so cheaply. You know, they didn't have to I'm pay. I'm so glad things. you know that. I'm so glad you know that. Yeah, I, I, in my opinion, that is the, the point I go to to say what was the decline of the business when you start when record labels realize, oh wow, all we need is one guy with some records, throw him a few. Cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. Yeah, just throw yeah. him a few dollars so that he's able to keep doing what he's doing, buy some vinyls, and we can turn that into, like, you know, tone loke level success or whoever at that time, uh, young MC or Vanilla whoever was the first pop big MC people. Hammer, yeah. MC Hammers and... Like, why would someone who's sitting behind a desk just trying to make money do more than that if that's all they need? But, but not to mention that they can often use, reuse their catalog. And like, oh, I've I've actually been in meetings where people have tried to get me to use samples from artists they already have owned the masters of. Hey, have you ever heard this track? Or like. It makes perfect sense from the person who's trying to make something without having to put out much, you know? Mm -hmm. But in terms of musicians, it's horrible. Like Kid Creole, we often do lots of shows, festivals in the summer with real bands, like uh, Cool in the Gang or, or stuff like that. Earth, Wind and Fire, whatever they are still today. But like it's a lost art you know it, those guys are like nostalgic you'll go see one of these bands earth wind and fire cool in the gang heat wave and it's like 75 percent of the people weren't a part of the band and it's just for a certain age group a certain demographic that appreciates that sort of thing but it's not it's just a nostalgia thing, really, it's for the most part. Nostalgia thing, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. that's and how the Kid Creole shows feel a lot to me too. Like, oh my god, people come dressed up in their '80s clothes, and they're like, "This is my youth." 
but it's not. I want to see the new Kid Creole, some 22-year-old dressed up like in his suit and got a band and doing it, you know? So Well, that's why so much... A, a re reason why I love Prince so much and miss him so much because I felt like he was pushing things, you know, always challenging himself. I don't yes. know how you feel, but I feel that way. And even real right before he died, real by real musicians, even right before he died, he was working with Mono Neon and different people and always trying to, like Miles Davis, you know, true. just always trying to do something new. And that's true. I can't say I, w I appreciated everything he was doing. But, you know, I, I'm not one of these fans who's just like, oh, it's Prince. He can do no wrong. Personally, I don't listen to Prince much anymore because it's there's just so much of it. And so much of it, in my opinion, is it's just because he was obsessive about recording and putting stuff out. It's not because it's actually like such a statement Top tier. yeah yes yeah, it's, it's my personal feelings but like i am a real prince guy like you probably i've seen every tour i've well every tour since purple rain but um i have all the records i was in the mpg music club i went to all the the uh the celebrations when he was actually alive and you're going to spend a week with Prince. Um, I've, I have diehard friends like to say hello to Bianca in Chicago. She's a Prince like fanatic, but um, yeah, I did. I wasn't crazy about everything that he was doing. I actually, I found that whole Larry Graham period to be a bit much for me when you go see Prince and all he wants to do is sing everyday people it's like okay <laughs> um I get it your idol is on the stage with you but we came to see Prince so um yeah there's a lot of his stuff that I just it just goes over my head and a lot of it sort of hits me like that it's not fully old school. It's kind of half and half kind of, it's hard to explain it to you, but um, he was, in my opinion, the last of the greats, but I don't particularly like everything he did. But he had the mentality though, to be fearless and trying whatever. Yeah, he's the man. There's nothing to say about Prince. He's the, he's the man. You know, I could tell you so much about my dealings with him. I'll just say that you often hear that thing about you're not supposed to meet your idols because it could. He was the only one I've met where I feel that way about. He was just maybe super competitive is the word, where it's like. I never got a feeling of like me and Prince and we can communicate or we can meet on any kind of common ground, even though I feel like I'm his son almost or something. It's just, I think he saw a lot of people as 
competition or, or I think he's a very competitive person and just uh, I don't want to say the wrong thing but petty maybe petty is the word I, I don't know but yeah I never really got a a real feeling from him like I'm having a a conversation a communication with someone there's always this I'm Prince and you're not as funky thing going on or something like that. It's hard to explain it to you, but um, first time I really met him, I went out to Paisley and um, I was, it was after that Roots thing the at the Prince tribute. And so I went out there and uh, to watch the taping of the rave and to the 2000 thing with Lenny Kravitz and all that stuff. I was there. And um, I was so, without elaborating, I'll just say, when I got back to New York, I took down all my posters. I took down every bit of Prince stuff I had all over the house. Because I, I just felt I didn't like him as a real person. You know? So I probably shouldn't elaborate much more on that one. But just... Uh, there's some people you can get behind the mask and there's some people you can't. I found him to be one I couldn't. Hmm? Well, it's so consistent with, you know, I've done dozens of interviews with people that were close to Prince or as close as you could get to Prince. Hmm. And uh, even that Eric Leeds uh, one that you mentioned, hmm. uh, you know, he talks about uh, the rare moments where he kind of saw Prince let his guard down and yes. then he like quickly like recovered, you know, to like yes. be the persona. Oh Lord, know? I'm not as funky as I should be. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Well, that that was kind of my experience. Just uh, you know. And I also did a few things to bother him as well, unfortunately. Like I I spent some time up in his private quarters in Paisley when he was rehearsing. I wasn't aware that I wasn't supposed to be up there. But I'm like, oh, wow, look at this room. It's got Prince clothes and shoes. And I was taking pictures. And I was in his private bathroom. And I'm like marveling. Wow, there's Prince symbols on the little hot and cold water things. This is amazing. And so he actually came in his bathroom. And saw me in his mirror, like, getting groomed for Prince. <laughs> I don't think he liked that at all. He gave me his little Prince smirk and didn't acknowledge me and walked in the toilet. And then I walked out the bathroom and uh, I just got a feeling, uh-oh, I maybe shouldn't have been there. And so... Maybe it's that. Maybe he's remembered me. And even though I saw him five or six other places, there was never any warmth. There was never any acknowledgement. It's just, you know. So it could have been because I'm a musician that isn't part of the Prince camp. And he had to put me in my place. It could have been because he saw me with Kit Creole. And he... Thinks of Kid Creole as the competition. I don't know. I don't know. But he's come to many Kid Creole shows that I've played. 
there's been many times where we're about to go on stage and then you get somebody in like the road manager be like, okay, Prince is here and he doesn't want anyone to acknowledge him or look at him. So do not look at the right side of the stage. And I'm standing stage right. And Prince is literally 10 feet away from me behind the curtain, but I can't look because we'd bother Prince who wants to come see the show in, in peace or something. So, you know. Yeah, I, th I think the petty comment uh, is on the mark just based petty. on what a lot of people have said, you know. Um, petty. Unnecessarily so is what I found Prince to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, you know, you, you, you either write it off to being an eccentric genius or, uh, or, or you let it, you know, affect your feeling about him. Um, it has affected my feelings. I can't really listen to him without thinking, mm, not my favorite person. And yeah. so that's very weird. And I love him. I love him. But I mean, I think. You did an interview with uh, what's Sandra Saint Victor, Sandra. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yes, I heard her on other interviews talk about Prince stole her song or something, or just all kinds of things you hear, and it's it's like that. Like you know, I worked on this Nika Costa record, and then he takes Nika Costa under his wing, and suddenly she's his artist, and like. It's just, he just does things in a very, in a way that I don't, I wouldn't do them. Let's just well, and she, Sandra St. Victor, she talked about that she had the opportunity to sort of be one of his protégés, and she decided to go a different direction. Smart lady. You know, she wanted to remain her own artist and own person. And don't so, want her up there singing Sex Shooter Part, part 29. Exactly. <laughs> Yeah. Yes, I understand. Totally. So, you know, I mean, you might get your five minutes in the spotlight doing that, but mm. probably you're going to end up being pigeonholed and then, yeah, where do you go? You know? Yep. I know it all too well. I, I mean, look at all of his people. I mean, that just Kip from Kip to Tony M. Just all these people, they just, you can see what happens when Prince takes a liking to you and then you eventually just become a part of the Prince fabric, you know? So, it's weird. weird. Yeah. Weird. You see some exceptions, but I think they're mostly for the people that were more in the background, you know, like Aranda Smith, you know, ended up mm. going that on. They were already that, doing know. their own things, sort of, yes. Yeah. yeah. Yep, yep. I love Prince, though. I mean, anything I'm saying, you have to take it with a little grain of salt because he's the hey. bad dude. Like, I, I, you know, he's Prince. So what are you going to say, really? You know, I, he, he gets a lot of leeway for being, like you said, an eccentric genius. But that man is bad. Like, wow. Like, just the fact that he can go to the piano and rock as well as anyone you heard the guitar the bass behind the drum kit in the studio produce mix engineer like 
he's as thorough as you can be. You know? And he was just uh, fun to be a fan of because he was so prolific and he was always doing stuff. So it was never boring or dull or, you know, never, you. you know. Uh, so, and even in an era when they started making uh, everybody wait, you know, four or five years to do an album, he mm. bucked that trend and kept giving you stuff. Whether you were impressed with it or not, he was at least giving you stuff to listen I to. I agree. I think I fell off with the Prince thing probably around the Rainbow Children. It's like I had heard all the Prince that I needed to hear at that point. I, I just felt like he was sort of, I don't know, that whole Larry Graham, it was like he was reverting back well, to his youth or something, you know? You know, it's funny, Mark, and... Um... I saw Graham Central Station play the House of Blues in like 96 or so. And I got to go backstage and meet Larry Graham. And he was super wow. nice. Of course. And um, of course, a bass hero of mine, you know. Um, yeah. And um, I said to him at the time, you know, hey, were you aware that Prince is like playing covers of your tracks? Like I, um, oh, really? Um, wow. Um, I Believe in You. Is that the name of the track he was doing? Hmm. yeah and the so, jam he was doing the jam i know he was doing the jam a lot yes, yeah with so he was doing a couple of uh of those tracks you know uh on his own before he met larry apparently maybe because hair I asked him, as well maybe hair as well yeah and so, so i said have you ever met um have you ever met him and he goes no i haven't and he goes but i hear he's been doing them so i met larry and talked to him about that backstage have him sign some records that are on the walls here but wow. um so, but then, so it was really funny for me to see it right after that. Uh, he actually not only met Prince, became like his, you know, big brother, mentor, or whatever. Sidekick. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. I, I mean, yeah, he, he built him a, a property on his own house. Property. <laughs> Which but, I respect. Know. I respect. I wish I was Larry and I got that version of Prince, the one that was a little kid excited you know i wish i saw that yeah so. i was at a show at the uh glam slam where um stevie wonder showed up and prince looking at stevie wonder on stage he very much looked like a little kid looking really? at stevie wonder which was Gosh, really you cool saw all these amazing shows. was that the one where he played maybe a baby yeah gosh man you've been around yeah had that on bootleg yeah, wow. it it was phenomenal. He he kept they kept saying Steve Wonder's in the house, and then like kept waiting for him to come up. It took forever, you know. And then mm. finally, he got ushered up on stage, and he's and then they start going into that riff, you know. Wow. Well, you've heard it, you know. And but Prince wow. just you know on his guitar, just looking at Stevie on the keys, and just like I'm looking wow. at my hero. I'm like, yeah, man, I've I never seen I've never seen Prince look like that. I'm like, whoa. Wow. I wish he would have just allowed people to see that, that part of him more. I really do. Because we love that. We love that. But he didn't feel, he felt too vulnerable, I guess. You and I both, since we love this man, I'm sure you would agree. Like, I would love to just get into the mind of that person who didn't know what was going to happen in the future and it was still just like, I just want to learn all the funky sly licks and the this and the that, like, the musician, the 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 guy. 
Now I've I've met lots of people like Andre Simone. He spent time in my house before, as well as Miko. Um, and they all have that same feeling that we're talking about. It's uh, I don't know what transpired in his life to build up this wall or this harshness or something, but I've met many people who are affiliated with him who want nothing to do with him or, or you know. So it's weird. It's a weird. Even I told you I was managed by his sister for a period of time. There's so much to talk about. <laughs> but um, I think even she felt she couldn't actually reach her brother. She couldn't contact her brother and talk. Because there was a whole thing going on at that time about another relative of his uh wanting to sue because she said she wrote you got the look like she said she had a song called something cooking in your book or something like that one of the lines in there something something cooking in your book or whatever it was and they were like there was a whole lot of talk about suing France you know this is between his relatives and Definitely, I didn't get the feeling that they were buddies, that you, you pick up the phone and call your brother or something like that. So, I don't know. I don't know. It's a weird situation. Well, it's getting, you know, deep. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's sort of like part of maybe why he ended up dying by himself, you know, and no yes. one's around, you know? Yep. You know, a lot of people I've known in my life have told me that. You're gonna die alone like Prince because because I'm so dedicated to music and not focused on the, a lot of things that other people are focused on. They're just like, you know, it, it's highly probable that you're gonna find yourself as alone as you are every day at the end of the day because you've never developed all those other things. So. I'm trying to not do that. Mm -hmm. Yes. So, Mark, um, what what are you working on now? You got this um, album you're working on, right? You're going to do a soul debut, and you're you're working yes. on a documentary and all that good stuff. Yes, yes. Well, the documentary. There was a person, um, which I, he's not even worth naming. But there was a guy from France who was interested in making a documentary about me. And so he came to England. We did a lot of filming, uh, my kids and home. And we went to New York, filmed lots of my friends and associates. Um, my mother, school, we, we, we really tried to make a documentary so um i don't want to get it too into it but he's a person with some alcoholic uh, tendencies and when we went to new york i think he was quite enamored with all the irish bars there and uh our our documentary sessions started getting weirder and weirder as the time went on and by the end of it, 
we were supposed to have signed some contracts. There's a lady named Barbara. Hello, Barbara Butler from New York, who was the liaison between us. She actually had a uh, a pretty successful Shuggy Otis web page on Facebook, like a fan group. And so this guy was a part of that. And he got to talking to Barbara about me. And I guess he saw me as a bit of a Shuggy Otis sort of character. So he expressed an interest in doing this documentary. But when we were in New York, things just went really weird. And Barbara didn't get him to sign the contracts or anything. So he just disappeared with the tapes. Uh, there's been talk of him being open to releasing them for money. But whenever we reach out to him, it's weird. You can't get a straight answer from him about anything. Last I heard, he may not even have the tapes anymore. So fortunately, I was receiving many of the clips as we were doing them. So I have quite a bit of it. And I also was filming while he was filming on my phone. So I have a lot of it. it. It probably won't be as luxurious looking, but I am trying to put this out and finish it, you know, and it's weird because if you're not doing that with, with an album to promote or something, then it's kind of just like you're just throwing it out there for people who won't get it, probably, you know, like they should. So I'm I'm like so many people right now, just trying to do everything I could do through my computer to keep things going, I guess you could say. And um, it's not the old days where you, you could just get deals and contracts and do everyone seems to be wanting to do things these days that are capable in a computer <laughs> so so i'm one of those and um regarding my music that was the documentary situation regarding music i don't do anything else so like as soon as an idea comes to my head, a bass line, a guitar thing, a chord, a, a beat, I'm putting it down. And it's a little bit difficult right now doing what I used to do, where not only are you putting it down as a demo to then expound on that in the studio and make a, the record and really trying to do it, these days, a lot of it kind of just stays at that level, like at the demo level, because as we were discussing before, it's just where are you going to find the budget to go get a band, a studio, tape, recorder, and someone who's willing to actually believe in that sort of thing enough to finance it, put it out properly. When we live in a world where people literally don't expect to pay for music or even pay for the production of it. It's just, it's just a weird time. 
it's I so I I'm doing everything I've always done just in an environment where it's it's definitely not my environment you know so that's my answer to you it's all happening but probably like a lot of other people like i saw eric leeds and he was talking about working with um the guy from the family i forgot his name yeah saint uh saint Saint paul Paul, yes Uh, yeah he probably doesn't like being called saint paul but (laughs) paul peterson (laughs) like what i'm doing is kind of like that you know you you make your stuff the best you can and you try to appeal to the people who might be interested but it's it feels like it's a big popularity competition whoever knows how to work their magic online well enough you know i think you're very good at it you know i i respect your wherewithal with getting your name out there and your product but I'm not that person. Like I, I need to focus on the music and let other people handle all the managerial stuff and financing and this and that. So just trying to keep it together, Scott. I'm trying to wait, wait it out. Hopefully, there's <laughs> gonna be a funk revival or some new young artist who's who's funk based and. Then that opens the door up for anybody else who can still so, get up. Someone beyond that. Bruno Mars. Oh God! I didn't <laughs> say that. <laughs> Let's back to the Mark Ronson uh, connection. Mm-hmm. That's another person I, you know, well, oh, it's hard. <laughs> I've been ripped off a lot. You know, there's a there's a song which I was hoping we would touch upon that I lost millions and millions and millions and millions of dollars on. Um, I worked on this song, which I won't name it. I don't want to get nobody in problems. And who knows, this person might just reach out to me one day with a check. But I worked on a song with a guy who wrote some hits for Maxwell. And he had another Grammy Award winning hit around the 2000s that was a real hit like a real hit we're talking one of the longest number ones ever ever and uh he was a close friend we made records together all the time we both played in bands together and i was in his band as his guitarist when he was trying to do a solo thing we were together all the time Soon as that record became a hit, never heard from him again. It's like 23 years or something. He's gone. But a lot of my other friends still deal with him. Never heard from him again. It's very clearly documented that I did this thing. And this song happens to feature guitar. And there's probably at least 500 to 1,000 people on YouTube teaching in tutorials on how to play it no everyone's oblivious that i had anything to do with it while this guy is last i heard he was in a mansion somewhere in brazil so 
Yeah. Are there, are there any credits showing for guitar on the track, or it just doesn't list anything? The guy who is the artist that he made the song for is a guitarist. So he's getting all the credits. <laughs> so, but it's very well documented. I I was in the studio with others who saw it all go down. I, I won't elaborate any more on it. Yeah, I'm sure anybody out there can piece this together. Early 2000s, someone who wrote songs for Maxwell and had a Grammy Award winning huge hit song. I will leave it at that. All right. Well, sorry to hear that. Um, hopefully and if anybody out there in Cincinnati would like to cut me a check, please, because he's from Cincinnati. <laughs> so, and he's Jewish. <laughs> And his favorite so, color is yeah. <laughs> okay, right. all these hints, yeah. And his studio is called Boom Boom Studios. That's all I'm gonna say, and that should be more than enough. Hmm. Cut me a check, please. I can use it. So. That's another thing, actually. I mean, just doing this show is um, so many artists are uncredited for different reasons, you know, on tracks that you don't know until you sit down and talk with them. It's like, wow, really, you know. Yeah. Um, that happened so much to me just so much you know a lot of times you'll work on something where they'll pay you to come in and it never goes anywhere so there's also hundreds and hundreds of songs that i've made for people that never saw the light of day so uh, along with that same sort of thing there'll be loads that you don't get credited on like a lot of things will be under the table you're getting paid just kind of it's not going through the label. It's not doing this. And then it comes out and you don't have credit. But, you know, I there's actually a song of mine on a Rockefeller record when I was with Jay-Z. Um, there's an album. There was a movie they had called Paid in Full. And the soundtrack for Paid in Full um, was an album called The Dream Team. And it featured all of the people who were artists on the label. And I'm on there. Like, I just went in and played them a song that I thought might have worked for what they were doing. And they were like, right, put it on the album. These people never put any credits. No, none of my publishing, none, of, nothing. All it says is M.A.J. Brooklyn Girl on it. Never got any residuals, nothing. Like, it's so loose. Literally like, yeah, that sounds good. Put it on the album. That's it. So it's a weird business, Scott. It's a very weird business. I'm thankful for people like you who are are, are in it for the right reasons in the music and you know the just it's not about that anymore it seems. It just it's so unfortunate to see all these great artists that are still able to get out there and do what they do. But like you were saying earlier, once upon a time, you could be an adult doing music and get some kind of recognition. Or I grew up, I used to see Lou Rawls all the time when I was a little kid, and he was popular. And, you know, that would never happen to I don't even think Stevie would get signed and really put out there today 
And also they okay. used to, they typically gave at least like three records, you know, to, you. to find your voice and to, you know, start selling Thank and they would actually develop artists, you know, and, yeah. uh, and support the art, you know, as you should. I mean, it, this isn't about whether or not the public catches on quick or not. It's about the, how much this person has in them and that you can imagine over time they'll be able to cultivate and get it together finally so that everyone sees this magic that's the most obvious thing in the world nobody comes out fully formed and if you saw prince in his first days that's nothing like the parade tour <laughs> or something it's it's you know, it's I, coming together. I, I was at not, his. I was at his very first uh, West Coast uh, concert ever in 1979. The Roxy was it? Yeah. You saw Prince with the Farrah Fawcett hair. He had the leg warmers, bikini briefs. Oh my gosh! And uh, brothers uh, that I was sitting next to, uh, who we didn't, he was new, and he was yeah. only singing falsetto then. That's all he right. sang. I and know. Everyone he, thought he was a girl. Yeah, so the brothers were like calling him princess. They were like heckling oh, him. Oh no! But the ladies were like swooning entirely. You know already. I know. Yeah, I know. I know. Well, yeah, that's not a very odd story. That's pretty much par for the course that you're going to get that reaction. So I understand that. But wow, you're lucky, man. You saw Prince and that level before even dirty mind that's why wow. following him from that beginning and then seeing the coliseum debacle and then going to that purple rain and seeing what he did with purple rain after that it mm. was just unbelievable you know from your perspective i can see that i could totally see it you must have been like rooting for that guy big time you know i was especially because uh it just seemed impossible at the time for a, a black artist to get over like that mm. and cross over like that and have rock as be part of it too, because mm. the radio music was so segregated in the seventies and with funk and, you know, funk it out, George Clinton, you know, he was saying they were going to do a movie and it never happened, you know, and things like that. Mm. So, yeah. Yeah. I know he's, he's a one-off. He's, he's, a special, special guy, that Prince. You know, it, <laughs> I've, I love him always. I just had a period when I actually got to meet him where eh, I could do without him. But now in retrospect, you know, if I could just not get personal with it and just think of him himself, like he's unbelievable. Like, do you know how hard it is just to arrange a song, just to like know where where it should go, but then you actually have the ability to take it there on your own and do it for lots of other people too. There's lots of people who their biggest thing, like Sinead O'Connor or even Shaka in her latter years, it's all Prince that put them in that sort of 
you're fresh again or something like it's hard to explain but that, that guy was amazing he's just and, and lay the and lay the whole track down over one night you know like, what do you say about that like that i often think of him when i'm working and i'm like all right mark we really should do these guitars but after i do that i'm just like i'm burnt out and i'm thinking all the whole time prince would have done the bass the keys the vocals the and I'm just like, I don't know how he did it. I was amazed throughout the 80s when I would hear about his work habits or not sleeping specifically. It's just like, that's part of what intrigued me about him. I was like, this, this has to like fall off the rails at some point. It, it, this is not reality that this guy is so prolific. I mean... Who does that? Purple Rain in 84, Around the World in the Day in 85, Parade in 86 with the movie, Sign of the Times in 87 with the movie, Love Sexy Tour, Batman album. And then all the protege acts, all the protege acts, and protege all the acts going to other people. New clothes to go with everything. It's a new <laughs> hairstyle. <laughs> Playing all the instruments, pouring constantly. There's nothing you can say. Like I, I do put him in a much higher category than pretty much anyone. It's Sly or Jimmy, all these people I love. I love them, and they're probably more influential than Prince in many ways, but they would give it up themselves to anybody who's that prolific and that talented across the board. You know, so yeah. Love Prince, always will. But he's, as Joni Mitchell said, he's a he's a weird little duck. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, man, we've been talking. You know, we've been talking almost three hours. It went by fast. Um, really? Wow. Yeah, we got to we got to keep this going and keep in touch. I'm here, Scott. I did this mainly to see you uh, to to be a part of what you're doing. I have yeah. never done anything like this before. I'm very private. It's a big deal. Everyone I know is like, go for it, Mark, go for it. And uh, it's a pleasure. I respect what you do, sir. Well, thank you. And I, I really respect where you're coming from. And just, you know, any kindred souls I can connect with like you, uh, you know, it's a great yeah. thing. So I'm here. I'm here. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Truth and Rhythm. A big thank you goes out to our guest as well as to you, the viewer and listener. Also, much gratitude to Pleasure for supplying the show's funky opening and closing music. As a reminder, you can always access the complete list of linked shows by episode at funkinstuff.net. I urge you to support this program and receive the extra benefits along with that by subscribing to the Funk and Stuff channel on YouTube and sharing it with funk, R&B, and jazz lovers, joining Truth and Rhythm's membership program at Patreon, submitting a donation at funkandstuff.net, buying Everything is on the One, the first guide to funk book at Amazon, shopping at the Funky Things store for cool merchandise at funkandstuff.net, and linking through funkandstuff.net for all of your Amazon purchases. In addition, if you're an artist or anyone seeking proven, results-oriented, professional marketing, PR, writing, 
or editing consultation or production, check out the media services section at funkinstuff.net. Also, I encourage you to drop me a line at scottg at funkinstuff.net. I love the feedback, suggestions, guest requests, appearance and sponsorship inquiries, and just talking about my favorite subject, groove-based music. For now, and as always, this is Scott Dr. GX Wolfine saying, keep on keep vibing, on vibing to the rhythm of the one.